Carrie here from Wrap Your Head Around Silks. You are listening to the Expecting Aerialist podcast. Today, I'm so excited to have who we all know as the circus doc, Dr. Emily Sherb, on the pod today. If you are not already following her on Instagram, I would suggest very highly to do so. She is just a wealth of knowledge and really, really gets into the specificity of um, of what we do. So without further ado, here is my interview with Dr. Emily Sherp. Welcome to the pod, Dr. Emily. How are you today? I am doing great. I am so excited to get a chance to talk to you about circus bodies. Yeah. And uh, this is such a niche thing, pregnancy, postpartum, perinatal, and aerial, and circus. I know a lot of my followers also follow you on Instagram, and if they don't, they should right away. I would love to hear about your background and how the circus doc was born. Please enlighten me. Absolutely. I would love to. I, um, it's kind of a long story. It's actually kind of, kind of funny how, how it all just organically grew. Um, I started doing circus when I was a kid. I found it, uh, at an early age at around 11 and just started falling in love. I'm sure many of your listeners have a similar experience where you find it, you realize it is something your body just loves to do and craves learning new movements and new skills. And you kind of fall in love with the whole idea of it and the community. What was the first thing? So what was the first that. thing that you did? Um, you know, I, I started really simple. I came from a gymnastics background. So I started with a um, mini trampoline. Like I just like tumbling, tumbling on the ground. Um, and then probably the first aerial apparatus I did was static trapeze, which is honestly still probably Your fave. one of the things I love the oh, most. Okay, cool. Yeah. yeah. I, I don't want to see my fave because I, I don't have favorites among all of my aerial babies, but um, <laughs> <laughs> but it but it's way, it's way up there. It's way up there. I do still have my trapeze bar, and during the pandemic, I've tried to touch it as many times as possible. Like sometimes, I'm just like, what if I do a little florial? What if I just hi, friend? Florial. <laughs> I've never heard that. It is not definitely not one of my creations, but I do love. Oh my it. god, I'm gonna steal it. <laughs> do it, do it. It's a great one. Um, I stole it. <laughs> <laughs> but, uh, but yeah, so I started as a kid doing circus and now have been doing it for almost 30 years. And circus has been a part of my life in one form or another since then. Um, and I got into long story, long story, long story, got into physical therapy, um, and always knew I kind of wanted to work with circus bodies, but I figured, you know, I'll get to see a circus performer here or there. Um, I don't really can't, I can't really imagine that I'll be able to have a practice where I get to see all circus performers. That wasn't even uh, an inkling of an idea. But at the time I got out of school and as I've watched circus grow so, so rapidly over the last 15 years or so, uh, it, it has kind of come to fruition that I have a practice now here based in Seattle where I see primarily circus artists and get to be involved in my community in a, in a different way every day. So it's been really fun. But through that, I've also been able to merge my knowledge as a circus artist, as an instructor, because I was teaching for a long time, um, and as a clinician, and really seen where the gaps are in both knowledge and in um, care for, for bodies and on the, on the healthcare provider side, in the knowledge of what circus bodies have to do, what challenges they face and really just that we exist, that there are actually a lot of us out there and growing, growing every day. And I hope the pandemic doesn't slow that down too much for all our circus schools owners out there. Um, and so I, I had been asked to give a talk back in, oh my gosh, I can't even remember what year it was, probably 2010 or 2012. Oh, wow. So Circus Talk has been Maybe around for like 10 years. Oh, so circus doc, the circus doc as a like name um, has only existed since about 2018. Um, but the circus doc as a, as a me, as me as an educator started back in like about 2000, it actually must've been in 2008. Cause I, I don't, well, maybe it's 2010. Anyway, not important on the year early, earlier in the 2000s, around 2010 ish. Um, I was asked to give a 
like four hour lecture to the American circus educators at one of their conferences about anatomy for circus arts. And that is really where the circus doc as an idea was born. Um, I just, it, it really sparked interest and I kind of started teaching on a more regular basis and realizing that, um, that there really was a need for that knowledge in the community and that there was a desire to have it um, from the educator side uh, about how bodies work a little bit more, um, you know, on the medical perspective on the, on the circus body. And so uh, slowly but surely, I, I worked towards teaching more, teaching more and more around the country, around the world. Um, and then in 2018, well, in 2016, I decided to write a book. Um, and finally, that's a whole other story for another day, uh, got that published in 2018 and in the process of publishing the book, I think around early 20, it must've been a a late 2017, early 2018, the circus doc as a, as a name, as a website, and then eventually an Instagram account, uh, was born. Um, and so it was really out of a gradual kind of organic progression of seeing where the needs lie and kind of reacting to that uh, more than a thought out, well-planned business. Yeah. Kind of like how I started teaching Ariel and now I'm doing a podcast. Hmm. Kind of. Yeah. You're like, that's not where that started, but it's where it went. But it totally makes (laughs) sense. And I have to say your book is the only anatomy book that I've read cover to cover and not (laughs) (laughs) didn't fall asleep while reading it. Thank you. It's also like really, I, you know, I, I look at it now and, you know, the more you stare at something, the, the, the more things you're like, how could anyone read this? But I, I do actually, it was a labor of love and I'm, I'm so thrilled to hear that it's, it's well liked and used in the, in the circus world. Well, you know, I've had to read a lot of anatomy books and it's just like, you know, when it doesn't really feel like it's speaking to you, but this book felt like it was speaking to me. So awesome. Yeah. And then also I have a lot of students who just like, you know, their ribs pop out all the time and their shoulders are a mess. And I'm like, you guys need to, we need to take care of your bodies over, over time. You know, (laughs) this is, this is not a small thing. We, we've got to do this right. Um, so what I want to get into, I actually want this episode to be useful to non-pregnant people as well. So let's talk about if you could break down how the core functions in Ariel. We talked a little bit about this over email and I was like, yeah, I want to know. I mean, I think I know, but do I? <laughs> but do you? But yeah, do I? let's talk about it. And yeah, I'm like, interrupt me with questions. I'm sure if you have questions, so does everyone oh, else. Oh, yeah, yeah. So, I will jump in on you. Know, don't worry. D- Please do. Don't let me monologue. I, I hear myself talk enough. Um, <laughs> so, so the core in Ariel. Okay. So first of all, the core, what are we talking about? Basically for us, it's everything that's like not an extremity, right? It's, it's our entire trunk. It's, it's how our body connects together and how we transfer force from our hands, if we're hanging from our aerial apparatus, to our feet to create a beat. It's how we reverse that and move energy and force from our feet all the way back to our hands to invert. Um, Our core is so, so, so critical to what we do. Um, And it's a whole bunch of muscles. It's not just one kind of monolithic thing of the core. Um, And so I'm going to talk about it as one thing, but really we could like go down a rabbit hole of muscle attachments and why and, and how and all that jazz. But the most important thing is it's a force transfer system that helps us prevent um, forces and energy going into one specific joint and instead transfer through our full body to prevent injury and improve our performance. Um, in aerial specifically, this becomes way, way more important than in our daily life. In our daily life, when we're walking around, when we're doing things like lifting, carrying, um, moving, anything, um, our core helps do that transfer, but it also is transferring through the floor or through the chair that we're sitting in, um, through stable objects that give us a little bit more support. When I look at the scientific literature and we look at things like uh, a tennis serve, um, and we think about that as, sorry, it's not a tennis serve, excuse me. Uh, When we look at things like pitching, (laughs) 
I believe it was an article on pitching that I'm talking about. Um, only about 50% of the force is coming from the arm and the shoulder. Most of it is actually coming from the trunk, the core, the hips, the legs, through into the ground to, d- to determine and develop that force. In aerial, let's say we're hanging from our hands, we don't have a stable art object to transfer that force into. We have to absorb and move that force through our body just with our core. So we end up having a lot more force on the structure that we have to figure out how to both stabilize and move at the same time. And when I say, again, this structure, I mean our shoulder girdle, because that's kind of like the core of our shoulders. I mean our abs and our back muscles, and I mean our hip stabilizers and musculature. So it's not just, when I say core, I don't just mean abs. I really mean how do we transfer that force? Um, So if we think about something like an inversion, we've got forces coming from the legs and the hip flexors going into the core and pulling on it, right? So we've got these long things, legs, (laughs) sticking out in front of us or tucked up, but there's still weights in front of our body, pulling our back that way. Um, And then when we start pushing with our arms to turn over, we've got our, um, our lats coming down from our arms and attaching on our backs. Those are the ones that push our arms down towards our body. And they're pulling our back in that same arched direction which if we think about an an inversion, we actually want to round. So we've got all these forces that our core has to fight against and it has to round our trunk to help flip our bodies over. So, so much force force going through um, all the structures in our midsection. So it's just really important and interesting as circus artists to think about how that core works um, in the air and, and how much more we're asking of our amazing bodies to do it. And then specifically to your audience, your pregnancy audience and postpartum audience, we think about all the changes that are happening in the core musculature, um, when we think about all the changes that are happening um, in the organ structure and things that are getting pushed out of the way and moved around. Um, Many people train through a good part of their pregnancy. I've seen folks, the other day, uh, one of my patients was showing me uh, a video of a mutual friend who is flying on flying trapeze. And I don't mean just swinging, but full on flying, uh, doing skills that most of us would dream of well, well into her pregnancy. Wow. Um, I'm trying to remember exactly how far in she is, but let's just say it is very clear she is pregnant and doing double tucks on the flying trapeze. Oh my goodness. That's impressive. <laughs> so, yeah. Yeah. It's impressive. That's what I'm saying. It's like, it's impressive for her non-pregnant body it is absolutely incredible as you look at a nice, amazingly uh, fit pregnant woman who is trained and skilled enough to do that. Okay. This is, this um, is awesome. So, Let's go in this yeah. direction. So, okay. So first trimester, second trimester, we're starting to stretch. Things are starting to move. Can you talk about how the core changes? And, and a lot of, again, let's address the women who are training through the first and second trimester. I was not because I ended up having, uh, going on pelvic rest because of my placenta being low lying. But for these women Mm. who are very comfortable training during that time, let's talk about, can you talk about the, the nitty gritty of what's actually happening in the body? So I can talk a little bit to this, honestly, um, pregnancy postpartum is not my big specialty. So I have some knowledge, but there are definitely people out there that know way, 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 way more than I do. Um, it's okay. I, I had so this conversation yesterday book. and it's like, but with the circus stuff, you still, the per- I think you're still the best person to, to ask. So, well, um, thank you. But, uh, but I, I can refer you to some amazing sources. Uh, <laughs> But yeah, so there's there's changes in the body, both chemically and physically. Um, we've got changes in hormones uh, and how our body reacts to things like relaxin, which changes um, is highest in both. The, it, it's elevated in the first trimester and the third trimester. Things kind of settle down in the second trimester. Um, and relaxin changes how our body kind of can stretch and move um, as our bodies change and grow. uh, And and then at the end, prepare for actually delivering the baby. Um, And so we need to be aware of that and protective of our our joints. Um, 
and that we're not really pushing our stretching. And that actually holds true through breastfeeding as well. Um, there are hormonal changes during breastfeeding that you should really be aware of and talk with your, um, your physician about um, and how that might affect your training. Um, and speaking of training, I just want to go back for one second uh, because as you said, you weren't training because you were on pelvic rest. Um, I certainly know people who have trained well through. I know people who have trained, but highly modified. I know people who just didn't feel comfortable for one reason or another and not trained. And all of that is fine. And I just want to say very clearly that what your choices feel good for your body at any given time are okay. I know as circus artists, there's a lot of pressure to always feel like you're training and making gains and whatever feels good to your body is okay. <laughs> and whatever feels safe and the conversations that you have, it's all okay. So I'm here to just add to that cheering squad of saying you're doing great wherever you are. Um, <laughs> but yeah, changes in the body. So um, as baby grows, uh, you know, it's not just the uterus growing. It's, it's, the uterus is a muscle and that's stretching. And then we have all the organs kind of shifting and pushing out of the way during that time. Um, and then the abdominal musculature having to adjust for that. Um, when we talk about muscles contracting, I'm, I'm doing things with my hands right now that you guys can't see. Oh, I want to see it. Just, <laughs> Damn you want to see it. I know. Okay. So take your hands and make like giant, like widespread finger jazz hands all right. kind of thing. All right. You got it. All right. Now stick one finger, like your fingers interlacing each other, but like keep them straight. So they're, you know, you can kind of slide them towards each other and away from each other. All right. Got it. You're sliding your fingers. I'm sliding my like fingers. straight down. Great. Okay. That's how a muscle contracts. Kind of. There's a lot of things that happen to make that happen, but that's how a muscle contracts. It slides and pulls apart and slides and pulls apart. Okay. So now your fingers are your abdominal musculature and you're pregnant. So what happens is as you're pregnant, those fingers move further and further apart from each other, right? Because those muscles are stretching basically. And now you look at it and, and there's less finger touching and where those fingers touching is where those muscles have like little like little like oars that kind of pull against each other to make contractions happen. So it gets harder to initiate that contraction because you have less contact area on those little muscle, um, little muscle fibers that we're talking about in the cells. So, um, so we need the kind of, if we keep those fingers in mid range, is what we're kind of aiming for most of the time. It's very easy to contract and relax. The further that gets stretched, the harder it is to contract your core muscles and contract your abdominals. Um, but it's doable. It's just harder. It gets harder and harder and harder the bigger your belly gets. Um, again, just like with stretching. So let's say you're training your split, right? And you've gotten your full 180 split on the floor. And now you want to take your split into the air and do it, um, do a foot lock and do it in the silks. So to get out of that split, you need strength at that end range to be able to pull back up in addition to the stretch to get there. And your abdominal muscles are kind of functioning the same way. If you get to that fully stretched out point where you just got a little bit of grip still hanging on, you can develop strength to control that. It's just harder and it just takes training. So that's why it's like, if you're being consistent with your training, you're often able to continue. But if you take a break, it's sometimes harder to come back during, um, during that pregnancy training period as, as you lengthen those muscles. Again, all doable, do what feels good to your body, but just kind of talking about how those abdominal muscles work and change uh, as they get stretched longer and longer. Um, so muscles are just a fascinating subject. Oh my I find bodies super fascinating. Well, obviously- so I hope that made sense with the no, little No, it makes model. sense. And obviously you have to be passionate about it to make it your job. And to, honestly, the way you're talking about it, you're talking about it, it makes me feel like it's an amazing thing that I can even do an inversion. Like thinking about all the little things that my body has to do to do that inversion. Oh, holy moly. It is so incredible. It is, it is. And like the, the earlier we start, like I, again, I started at age 11 and now when I look around circus schools, well, pre-pandemic, looked around circus schools and I see people starting in their 40s, 50s, 60s, 70s, and I see a 70-year-old doing a forward roll. I am absolutely enthralled and amazed. That to me is one of the most incredible things 
you can do is learn new movement at a later stage in life because it is so incredibly complex and so incredibly amazing to coordinate that movement and and deal with the fear associated with it and all of the changes in our vestibular system and understanding how rolling even feels on our brain, let alone like the movement of the body. And so I just applaud anyone who um, starts learning new movement at any age. Yeah, and, and uh, even like just hanging, back to movement after hanging upside down and having the wherewithal to know where your body is. I mean, I can't imagine learning that, you know, way later in life and really wrapping my head around it. Yeah, it's, it, it's kind of mind-blowing. It's kind of mind-blowing. Um, so, okay. So we've all been in a year-long pandemic. So if you- Really? <laughs> I know. Really? <laughs> we, all, we all have PTSD that we don't know about. Now. Totally. Okay. So there's, uh, I've been calling it the, uh, the born-again aerialist, the students who come back in and it hasn't been, it's been a year and they're like, holy moly, I'm coming back. And I'm just so proud of them for coming back. So, and I'm going to steal the born again term. The born again good, right? is pretty great. It's good. I, it's great. And also like, if you're coming back from pregnancy, it's also kind of great too. Cause like you're being reborn as a, a, a new aerialist again too, as you, and a new person at, at the way you're approaching things. Yeah. I mean, it's kind of a so. new body in both, it. in both ways. Yeah. And so in both cases, can you talk about rebuilding strength after both a break of just, for example, a pandemic break or and also going through the change of pregnancy and maybe start with the pandemic break. Yeah. Let's just start with what happens to the body when we take a break. Oh, yeah. Okay. Yeah. I'm ready. Right? Because there's so many changes that happen and it's not always what we think about. Like we think that the first thing that happens is, oh, my God, I took a week off and I have gotten so weak. Right? That's the way my brain works. It's not true. Mm. This is what is so cool. Say it again for the people in the back. <laughs> it's not true. You haven't gotten that week. Um, it gets more true the longer we take off. We do eventually lose some of our muscle and some of our strength. But when we look at our bodies, and even if we are seeing less muscle mass, we're not actually seeing less muscle cells or muscle fibers. What we're seeing is that we're storing less nutrients and less water um, to support those nutrients in our muscles. So the muscle volume has gone down first, but not as much the strength. So first thing that happens is our muscle volume decreases. We stop storing fuel there. We, like normally we store nice, nice little pockets of glucose, little snacks for our muscles. Um, and we store that in our muscles generally. And with that, with that comes more fluid and those muscles are ready to work. When we stop training, our body's like, well, I'm not going to store fuel there. I'm not going to leave little snacks along the trail if those muscles aren't working. I'm going to use that for other purposes. And so our muscles shrink in size, but they don't shrink in muscle tissue. Next, yeah, well, they do eventually, but not, not yet. <laughs> so that, that happens over the first couple weeks to a month, month and a little. And that's like if we sit there and do nothing. Okay. Most of, well, you know, no judgments. Um, I sat there and did nothing for a good part of the pandemic, but, um, <laughs> but if you, if you truly sat there and did nothing, this is kind of what we're talking about. But if you're using your muscles at all, this happens at varying degrees. Next thing that happens with the muscle is then it starts kind of pulling back a little bit of the tissues and we start, um, breaking down the muscles a little bit. It, it costs our body energy to uh, build up muscles and it costs our body energy to break down muscles um, and it costs our body energy to store muscle. So we're kind of having to figure out our body is figuring out, well, am I going to need this muscle later? Cause I don't want to break it down if I need it later <laughs> because it's going to be more expensive to rebuild that infrastructure. Efficient thing. The body will do the most efficient yeah. thing. Okay. Absolutely. The body's trying to do the most efficient thing. So at first it's like, Hmm, am I going to need this muscle later? Is it going to cost me more to rebuild that later, basically? Um, and it's kind of hedging its bets. And then it slowly might start breaking it down if that becomes more efficient than storing that muscle and using your caloric expenditure to maintain it. So first thing it does is kind of turn into that shutdown mode and kind of turn down the um, amount of fuel and things it's storing there to make it, to kind of put it 
in storage mode, like sleep, like your computer, you're putting your computer in sleep mode, kind of put your muscle in sleep mode. Then it's like, okay, no, really, we're not using it. and might start breaking it down a little bit. But that's not the only system in the body. So that's if you did absolutely nothing, your muscles will eventually break down a little bit. We're also really good at building it back up. And we do. The other systems that's really important is the neurological system and, and how well we're tuning and training our brain to talk to our muscles. Um, if you are sitting and daydreaming about doing aerial, if you're scrolling and looking at Instagram, watching videos on YouTube and like keeping your brain alive and kind of feeling and imagining what it feels like to move through those movements and those movement pathways, you're tuning your neurological system and getting it primed and telling it, oh, I'm going to use those muscles. Oh yeah. I'm going to use those muscles. (gasps) You have just Um, blown my mind. Yeah. You've just blown my mind. Yeah. It's, I mean- I don't know if it actually helps maintain the muscle properly, but what it does do is prime those muscles to be ready to go, to be built back up as soon as possible on the return. Okay. So I'm going to interject really quick. So me and me and Rachel, Rachel Bowman, we had this, we, we were having this discussion because she's like, do you think that there are just so m- much less people interested in aerial right now because they can't do it. And it was a big question we had for a couple of weeks. We just kept on talking about it. And because we were seeing like, basically I started asking like, do you, are you stopping watching aerial because you're so sad that you can't do it anymore? And mm. a lot of the answer was yes. Yeah. Like they, they just shut themselves off from it because they couldn't physically do it. And so what you're saying is, is that people shouldn't do that. Um, Maybe. I, well, <laughs> I think there's different reasons to to do it or not. I mean, if if it's emotionally difficult, that's, sure. I mean, that's valid too. But if you're thinking about, if you're talking purely from a return to training standpoint, yeah, watching Ariel and, and being engaged with it uh, is super helpful because when you come back, the first thing that you have to do to rebuild those muscles is neurological. Tell your neurological system. Yeah. yeah. It's all neurological. It's like, Hey, we need those muscles to work better. Um, and so the first thing you do when you learn new things is reinforce neurological pathway, because again, your body's going to be efficient. So it doesn't want to build muscle until it's optimized everything it's got. So if we can keep the neurological system going and get that pinging those muscles just to kind of like build that pathway, even on our non-training time, um, it's reinforcing that connection, hopefully, to help us fire those muscles when we do go back. Oh my God. I just taught my daughter how to say the word, whoa. I am going to have that whoa. look on my face the whole day. And the reason, the, re- the reason I'm going to go back to that story, those people who are telling me they stopped following Ariel because they were sad about it, like 100% of those people also said they wanted to come back to it. So, yeah. so in that case, I, I'm like, oh, okay, I understand that you feel sad or you just miss it so much. But let's not, you don't have to divorce yourself from it. I, I, I guess that's kind of the message I want to kind of bring home to some of my listeners just because you're not in the air doesn't mean that you can't have a practice. You know, 100%. You can you can move on there the floor. Ways. You can choreograph stuff in your Choreo. mind. Yeah, using our brain is such a powerful tool. It is yeah. such a Yeah, I mean, tool. I've and been a I've been a mover mean, my whole life and there's definitely been like I had two very specific times pregnancy and I broke my leg where I was out. Did I, did I divorce myself from my entire practice during that time because I was so sad that I couldn't take it? No, you just, you have a different, you're going to gain more perspective during that time. So anyways, I am, my mind is blown. My mind is officially blown. And so this is a great way to start talking about um, um, the, the pregnant body and, and, you know, women have their babies and can you talk about that, that really, that, that time that we don't know a lot about because the doctor's like, cool, you're good to exercise again after six weeks. And we're like, okay, what does that mean? What does that mean for what us? What does that mean? Yeah. What does that mean? Such a good question. 
Um, yeah. So again, every single body is totally different. Um, and every single journey is totally different and it's going to depend a lot on your pregnancy journey, your birth journey, um, what those, what those weeks in between have been like, uh, for you, how exhausted you are. Um, what it means is that you can start and start from where is a really big question, but it's going to, it's going to depend. I like to see people start with the idea of, can I get my core function back? And that's because, as I just said, the core is super important for pregnancy, for birth, and for Ariel. Um, We need to make sure that you know how to engage those muscles now that they've all of a sudden snapped back to being able to function at a shorter length, but they haven't had to work there in so long. We go back to our little finger model. So all of a sudden, the stretch has gone away from them, but are they actually able to fire now in their new shortened length? Cause you haven't practiced that in six months, seven months, you know, as things have gotten longer and longer and, and stretched out. So we need to learn how to fire those muscles again. Um, and you know, how much of a diastasis are you left with? Um, those things keep changing during that time. And so making sure, especially as aerialists that you're, aware and checking in with your abdominals as you go. Um, There are certainly lots of things you can start training and working on, um, but core function is where I really like people to start. And I don't mean like you need to jump in and do a million sit-ups. I mean, what's interesting about Ariel and that we can kind of duplicate in our florial is moving our arms and legs and keeping our core stable, right? So... Yeah. So it's not really a whole bunch of crunches. It's not really hanging out in a hollow body. It's, hey, can you start with maybe sliding your heels on the ground and keep your pelvis and your core still? Mm, Like the marching, the marching test that my PT always has me do. Even lower than that, but yes. But like just slide your heels starting there, you know, and then can you, like you said, do a march? Can you lift one knee up towards your chest? without your pelvis rotating, without your abs pushing up and down, um, keeping everything still. Um, Can you do it in a hollow body position? Can you do it with your back pressed into the ground? Can you do it with your spine in neutral? Um, Can you bring your knee out to the side and back up with your foot anchored um, and keep your pelvis still and your abs in neutral? Because doing like a straddle up, you need to be able to bring your legs to the side without your whole pelvis going cattywampus. So starting with those concepts of Ariel. Um, and those are things that most people can do throughout their pregnancy as well. But again, after you've given birth, your abs are now at a different length and it's about trying to make them learn how to fire there and connecting that back to leg movement, to arm movement. Because what tends to happen is we start to learn compensation patterns are going to be harder to break down later. Um, we start to learn things like, oh, I can support this if I squeeze my legs together and use my adductors to kind of support my pelvis from below. Or if I squeeze my lats really hard, I can stabilize my whole trunk without using my abs, you know? And, and so there's, there's strategies that we can use, but they're not going to be the most productive long-term. So when we're coming back to Ariel, I really like to start kind of from the middle first, um, working on balance things, working on, um, working on skills that require a little less core, but make us happy. (laughs) So maybe for people who do static trapeze like me, maybe that's things like just sitting, sitting, doing things that are involving sitting on the bar, maybe doing some transitional work, less inversions and leg lifting, more um, feeling the apparatus, feeling the vestibular system working, moving through space um, and starting there. And ideally coming back slowly and working with knowledgeable coaches or with knowledgeable um, PTs who uh, work in pregnancy and postpartum, or at least have helped artists come back with pregnancy and postpartum. Um, There are so many different ways of kind of approaching it, depending on how much you were training during your pregnancy, how much, um, uh, how much you were, how long you were training up towards, towards, uh, towards your due date, uh, what happened during your birth process, 
all of that. Um, did you have a C-section, natural childbirth, any complications? I mean, there are huge varieties of what happens, as I'm sure you know. <laughs> yeah. I mean, as you say, like you do static trap. I, the only thing I can compare that to is Lyra because I don't do, I don't do trap. Um, huh? <laughs> I don't understand. It's, it's less popular these days. No, it's not though, because at my, at the studio that I work at, it's like the trap, dance trap classes are. Oh, dance trap. Yeah. Dance trap is, is re- has this like resurgence of popularity, which I'm loving. Yeah. But yeah. Traditional static trappy is, is, is probably a little, little less popular, but I love it. And the dynamic stuff that people are doing these days. Yeah. Holy super, moly. anyway, super cool. Um, but even super cool. Everybody's doing amazing things. You guys are incredible. Um, Tell me just about Lyra. sitting, just <laughs> sitting. Um, when I teach my beginners and this is not pregnancy related at all. When I, when I teach my beginners, I have them sit in the hoop and just test their hands off. And it, it it's really surprising to almost everybody how hard it is to sit up there because oh, yeah. you're recruiting your core to stabilize you and you don't think about that as being hard. But for the people who've never done that before, or if you're coming back, I actually never did that test with myself when I came back from pregnancy because I went on silks first. Ooh, but like just that test. It's a good one. Yeah. Just that test is wonderful. Can you, okay. So we casually use the term muscle memory all the time. Mm-hmm. We're like, don't worry, your yep. muscles remember. Is it true? And if it is, <laughs> why and how does that work exactly for the women? Sorry, not the women, for the for the humans that are, we've built that strength before. Maybe you took seven, nine, 12 months, <clears throat> a pandemic off. Pandemic. What is that? Can, can this be like the new term for taking time off? It's like, oh, I took a pandemic. Like I took a year uh-huh. off. Like- yep. I feel like we can just start we can talking do that. About it that way. Yeah. So, what is this muscle memory thing? Like, is it is it just is it just banter or is it real? So this is this comes back to what we were talking before about that neurological system. That's exactly what that is. It's those neurological pathways of patterning and movement that our bodies do remember. And there's pros and cons that come with that too. So, um, so yeah. So practicing those with your brain during your pandemic uh, or your pregnancy. Um, can really be helpful because that is your muscle memory. That's your body remembering and practicing the the brain signals of how to do it. There's a there's some some cool stuff with visualization um, and training uh, for you know athletes and gymnasts in particular to practice their routines. Um, but that's kind of what we're doing with our brains and that muscle memory. But the problem with it, and sadly, I have experienced this myself. What if you had bad habits? Oh oh, so many oh so many. But that wasn't that wasn't exactly where I was going. But holy moly, so many bad habits. I started when I was eleven, and realistically, um, thirty years ago, we didn't have as many resources to talk about training as we do now. And I, from experience, had a huge number of bad habits that I try to help my students and patients and um, and fen- friends and and fans uh, avoid. But that wasn't actually where I was going. The problem comes with muscle memory um, when uh, when our body remembers how to do things, but our muscles or tendons aren't as strong as they were. So for me, uh, I've spent a lot of my life on a flying trapeze, very, very, very many years of my life on a flying trapeze. Probably I'd be really curious to break that down. But yeah, years of my life have been spent on a flying trapeze. and. Um, and so a couple of years ago, I was like, oh yeah, I'll just, you know, it's been, it's been a, a pandemic or so since I last flew because, you know, writing a book is not like having a baby, but sometimes it, there are, there are comparisons. Uh, it takes a, a lot of focus and, and effort and a lot of dedication of time. And so I came back to Flying Trapeze after writing my book and I took a swing and I, you know, the coaches that were down there were like, wow, you look really good. And I was like, I feel really good. And then I rolled out of the trapeze net and I tore an abdominal muscle. Oh <laughs> man. So your neuromuscular because, connection yes. was there, but your actual muscle was like, nope. Nope. Yeah, Got It was just, it. nope. It is like, Hey, you used everything you had but we weren't prepared to do all that. And we didn't have the nutrients stored in there. Even if it may have been strong enough, it wasn't prepared to do that much firing all at once. And I was like, oh, that's embarrassing. And I don't think I told them at the time, but I was like, oh, that kind of hurt, you know, whatever, I, you know, I'm fine. And then like, 
it took a good couple of weeks for that to, <laughs> to repair and recover. So not only can I admit to having a huge amount of bad habits, I use photos of old me when I was training regularly and, and was a professional artist uh, in, when I teach, because I think it's a really great to show that like, no, 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 just because I know this stuff now, doesn't mean I implemented it with my own body or even implement it all the time now with my body. Um, and that holds true for returning to, to training as well. I'm like, yeah, I'm good. I feel great. Oh, that's when injuries can occur. So even if you've been training your brain, it's important to remember it's okay to come back at a lower level and it's important to come back at a lower level and to try and test those beginner or basic skills because they're the fundamentals of everything we do. If you can't sit on a lira with no hands, right? Um, can you have that balance and control as you move into a mermaid or as you turn upside down, right? We all need to give ourselves the grace and permission and not compare ourselves to our previous selves. This is so hard for me. I'm speaking from experience. I'm speaking to myself. <laughs> I mean, that's even to, harder to than comparing ourselves to other people. I think that, oh, yeah. It's the worst. It's the worst. Um, you beat yourself up it's all the day worst. long. Yeah, you absolutely do. And and it's because you're like, well, I know I can do this. And it's like, well, you know what? When I was a professional flying trapeze artist, I could do that. I was also training a million hours a week and teaching full time and I, moving my body was my job. Now my job is to help others move their bodies, which is wonderful. But I need to stop comparing myself to me in my 20s. And that's okay. And so also a message out there for people returning to Ariel that it's okay to, uh, to, to recognize and let go and then be able to come back to, to who you were before too. Like you'll get there, but the only way you'll get there is to stop beating yourself up over not being there yet. Oh my God. I love it. Okay. So I want to talk about me and my experience the first day I got back to silks. And I mm -hmm. want you to tell me from your perspective, what was going on? So I was just curious. I'm like, do I have my inversion? Do I have my hip key? And it was two and a half months after a C-section. And I was cleared to do all exercise. Although, you know, I told my doctor, I was like, you don't know who you're talking to when you say that. <laughs> what do you mean by all exercise? You're gonna, you mean I'm going to go deadlift 900 yeah, pounds like, what do you, right now? What do you mean? And, um, you know, I have a reformer in my house. So I was doing all those things. I was doing all the smaller things. I was like, I just want to know what is gone and what is there. So my inversion from just wrapping my hands and just off the floor, I could do a straddle. I couldn't do it from in the air, short arms, um, you know, like elbows tucked in my sides and my hip key was non-existent. <laughs> and it was the most odd experience in my brain to know how to do it in my brain and send the signal Oh yeah. And my body not, not, not comply. And it, I was like, okay, I'm not upset about it, but it was weird. Like I was like, how does that even work? What is going on? Oh, yeah. Why can't, can you talk about that? Because I, is it that the muscle fibers are just like, nope, I can't. Or is it that they're like, I don't know what you're talking about. What What's happening there? <sighs> It's, it's more of the muscles going, nope. Okay. Um, you know, they, um, as I said, especially with inversions, um, there's so much force that has to go through our trunk to be able to stabilize and move it. And it's our body just going, I literally just can't do that. Um, those core muscles, if they've been stretched out, it, it's really hard for them to make that communication happen, uh, and coordinate all of that and fire properly to, to stabilize and, and allow the, the lift to occur. Um, so yeah, it's just the muscles saying, nope, I'm not ready yet. In the simplest terms. Okay. I really like the simple, I like the simple version of the answer. Cause I was just like, what is happening? And, and I think like a lay person without any knowledge would be like, uh, your muscles don't want to do that. But I was like, I don't get it. You're like, I don't get it. I'm ready. I'm ready. Uh -huh. My brain is ready. Yeah. And it's like, yeah, but sometimes your body is not. And I know that's frustrating when you're like, no, I have this 30 minutes to work out because I've got childcare for these 30 minutes or my child's actually asleep or whatever. And I'm ready to do it now. And it's like, well, 
<laughs> Maybe now is not the time. <laughs> yes, yes. But it, will, um, but it will come back. It will. And just talking about me some more, I think that's – which is because oh, yeah. I, I think people – it'll help I think people. you're great. So a year later after I – went back into my practice. I'm having the opposite problem. And this is, this is for me because now that you're on the phone with me, I like really want to ask you. So now I'm overtrained <laughs> because I, oh. now I teach <laughs> six days a week in person <sighs> because we have the situation where we can be kind of like, kind of, we, we have a huge garage door, whatever. So awesome. Can you talk about the opposite for our non-pregnancy folk? Because the overtraining, I'm doing, I, I kind of am in this position where I'm demoing too much and I try not to, but I don't really have a choice sometimes. Whereas other students, my students, they're doing it because they're not holding themselves back from, you know, they're not taking rest time. Absolutely. Can you talk so- about this? Because I mean, I, right now I'm, so overtrained that I feel like I can't even access my strength yeah. to 50%. Yeah. Can you talk about what overtraining does to our, um, and how that correlates with, um, our ability to access our strength? Because I know that's true. I just don't know the nitty gritty of it. Absolutely. And honestly, we could have a whole other conversation and, and we, about And this. I wish I, I, I would love to. I would love to. So we can, yeah, if you can give we, me the short answer. Should. Yes. Yeah, I will give you the short answer. Um, the short answer is um, training load is something that is a part of our training plan. And if you don't have a training plan, it's really hard to monitor your training load. And if you can't monitor your training load, you don't know when you're overtrained. And if you don't know when you're overtraining, then you're at risk for injury. So we do all of this because we want to stay strong and stay fit and get better at what we do. So we overtrain and it's also fun. Let's be real. I mean, not the overtraining part, but the training part. I just want to get out there. We want to have fun. It's super great, but we do it also to get better. And if you're overtraining, you start losing your access to your strength. You start losing your access to your brain power. (laughs) You lose the ability to recover. You lose the ability to actually gain those new skills. Um, because you don't have the reserves and the resources to put the energy and the, uh, the spend basically the energy, the cost of building muscle, building neurological pathways. We need rest to do that. That is what rest does for our bodies is it, it allows us to process the information we're putting in. So rest should be built into your training and part of your training because it is one of the most important aspects of your training because without it, you cannot learn new skills. You need it to build the muscle and you need it to build those neurological pathways. It's how we process things. Okay, students out there, open your ears. <laughs> Listen to Dr. <laughs> Emily because I mean, yeah, I, and if, I have a different I have a different problem. But for the people out there that are just like killing themselves and thinking that they're yeah, doing something. Yeah, I know it's exciting coming bodies. back from the pandemic. I know. You're just like, I want to do all the things. Or during the pandemic, people were doing the, well, I didn't do, I was doing aerial four days a week, but I can't do that anymore. So I'm going to start doing handstands and contortion four days a week. And it's like, yeah, but that's new to your body. And all of a sudden, training handstands and contortion four days a week is basically like going from zero to 100. And was, I was seeing a lot of injuries starting to happen with people overtraining because they started a new skill at the same level that they were doing an old skill. Um, so yeah, there's great resources out there on training load. I will say I actually have some training, um, training load worksheets that folks can, can download for free. Um, and they're out there. I will make sure you guys have the links for that. Okay. So I promise you guys, my listeners that I will have Dr. Emily back to talk about all things overtraining because, um, I, I need the reminder all the time and, and it's really, really important to get that message across. And then also you guys can find her on Instagram at the circus doc. I highly recommend going out and purchasing this book as a reference that you can have in your household for when you're training, because, you know, just simple things like why the hands need to be together on a silk or a rope when you're climbing. Like I, this is one of the biggest things that I fix on my students. They have these weird you know, like two inches between their hands and therefore everything's a little bit off. And they're like, why is my shoulder hurting? 
It's really important. It's really important because, you know, we're trying to, we're trying to protect our bodies to be able to do this in the long run. I don't know anybody who's like, I just want to do this for two years. No one says that, you know, no one says that. I love that. that. It's so true. Oh my gosh. It's so true. No one says that, but that is often how people train. So that's a really great point. Yeah. Yeah. So thank you so much for being here. I, I have a million other questions for you, but I'm going to, I'm going to let this be one podcast and not eight. The great news is that we can do this again. (sighs) I know where to find you. It's called the internet. I'm, I'm so happy to have you here. And, um, yeah, it's such a great resource for our listeners and, uh, yeah, I'm really thankful. Thank you. Thank you so much for having me and um, everyone feel free to reach out with questions. I am reachable on um, multiple platforms at the circus doc um, and seek me out and reach out. I am always, and you always, you can do virtual consultations too. So if, if there's any pregnant women out there who need, or, you know, postpartum, they're like, okay, this is what happened to me because obviously you can't be specific with the topic unless you're looking at one specific body. So I do movement analysis and kind of like virtual coaching, um, across the world, um, just as, as a coach and a movement professional. And then I provide physical therapy services, um, for people in Washington and Oregon, where I have a physical therapy license, um, and actually treat on medical side there. So if you don't live there, you know, you're on your own. Yeah. If you don't live there, no, you're not on your own. Please reach out. Um, I absolutely uh, do movement analysis. And then I also have lovely uh, other healthcare practitioners that I love to refer to um, and help people find the best care in their community. Well, it's just one more reason to, to move to the, to the Northwest. Like I have friends that are like, if we just all go together, then it'll be like, we didn't leave LA. (laughs) Let's just have our pod. We'll just have our pod. Let's just yeah. do it in a pod. Um, okay. Thank you so much, Emily, for being here. Thank you. Absolutely. Thanks so much for having me. Thank you so much for tuning in today. I'd like to thank Asa Watkins for post-production. You can always find me at carry at wrapyourheadaroundsilks.com via email. You can find Dr. Emily on Instagram at the circus doc. And thank you so much for being here. I will talk to you next time. You've been listening to the expecting aerialist. Podcast. <laughs>